Words, they get golly hard when they jumble. Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle. Merkin fool, like squirtle and cake boo. Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about politics, morality, polarization, and convincing arguments. I've been thinking about virtues and the hefty, often invisible price we pay for outrage and grandstanding. My guest today is Justin Tosi. He's an assistant professor of philosophy at Texas Tech University, where he works on moral, social, political, and legal philosophy. And he is the co-author with Brandon Wormke of the new book, Grandstanding, The Use and Abuse of Moral Talk. Welcome, Justin, and thank you so much for joining us today on That Got Me Thinking. Hey, thanks for having me, Ellie. So I, I just wanted to start with something, and I'm, I'm kind of poking fun of it, so I apologize if you're offended, but I thought it was a good place to start. You say at the beginning of the book that children can be horrible to one another, and we learn how to treat people as we grow. And, and as I read that, I thought, hmm, like, are you sure? Um, and that we, that, that we don't allow children to mock, shame, or gang up on, on um, one another. And I thought again, like, don't we? Like, aren't the adults the ones that are really? I think oftentimes um, accepting the, the bad behavior <laughs> and, and maybe modeling it? Mm. Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's sort of the worry. So the, po- the point of that uh, analogy there is, is just to say, you know, look, you look at the way kids behave um, and we can all just see, okay, I, look, obviously that can't be allowed. Right. That's no good. That's not good behavior. Um, but then, uh, I mean, you're right. Like adults are, are not always on their best behavior either. But the, the thing that we're worried about is that especially when it comes to morality and politics, um, we seem to uh, allow things of ourselves and the people who agree with us, especially uh, that we would never allow from, from our own children. And we do it because um, we think, well, it's, it's all for a good cause, right? Their, their heart is in the right place. They mean well. Uh, and so they're allowed to do things that uh, in other contexts we would, would find uh, repulsive. But we think that's a mistake. Uh, and the point about grandstanding, uh, which is using moral talk for self-promotion, uh, is that this is one of those areas where I, I think we let people get away with things because we agree with them. We, we like what they're saying and, and, you know, we kind of pump them up and, and then we just incentivize more bad behavior. It's really true. I, I think um, when you look at children, one thing that we generally do across the board, uh, parents make sure that they're kids are being polite, right? Like use your manners, um, be polite to one another. I mean, we might as a society and in many different schools, like we don't, we might give lip service to to not bullying and to some of the other things. And maybe we aren't really committed enough where we're going to take the time out to, to stop something and um, that's going on or just sort of say, oh, that, you know, that just happens, that part of life. But, but definitely as far as I think the outward manners and treating people um, with respect, at least in a social sense, setting. Um, we see that happening and being told to kids. And yet, you know, today in the news and on social media, we, we frequently see moral views and language or actions not only be accept, being accepted, but then being correlated with the totality of another human being's self-worth. Someone says something mm. or does something that's against the grain of our yeah. sensibilities. And now they are a despicable person. 
And, and this seems yeah. like a new phenomenon. Like, do you think it's new? Do you think it's it's exaggerated now? Mm, good. Uh, well, so I don't think it's it's necessarily new. Um, I, I think that um, we have the the psychological building blocks to drive this kind of behavior just hardwired into us. Uh, what may be new is the environment uh, that incentivizes it, encourages it, and exposes all of us to it. Um, so, you know, human beings, uh, we like to think well of ourselves. You know, we think we're better than we are. We're, we're, we engage in moral self-enhancing or moral self-enhancement, as psychologists say. Uh, you know, we measure ourselves by how we stack up to other people. So we really want to be better than them. Uh, and we engage in impression management. Um, so we put on a show for other people so that, uh, you know, in the hopes that they will come to think of, of us the way they think of themselves. Um, so that's just how human beings are, right? I mean, these are, are cross-cultural findings. Um, we've always been this way or for a very long time at any rate. So what, what's new? Well, I mean, now it's easier than ever to just hop on social media uh, and find an audience of people ready to, to deliver you likes and hearts and retweets and, and whatever else, uh, affirming that you, know, you are indeed a, a good person. Um, also, it's hard to avoid this stuff. I mean, I don't know about you, I am not seeing other people very much right now. Uh, so I engage with them primarily on, online. Um, and so when I do that, it's impossible to avoid seeing lots of other people uh, engaged in, in moral grandstanding. Um, so again, nothing really new here as far as who we are, um, but you know, the social environment is just such that uh, we see a lot more of this nowadays. It was interesting, some of the statistics you share in the book of some of the uh, studies. And one was that we even tend to judge ourselves better than ourselves. That, oh, that, yeah. that in, in the one experiment where we judged ourselves and then we don't realize it's us, we're like, oh, I'm so yes. much better than that person. Um, and, and you're making me think, like, if there's a larger disconnect... Um, within how we do authentically view ourselves and how we want others to view us? Like, were we happier with ourselves? And maybe ha there was more integrity in the idea that that we could think well of ourselves, that we, we were doing a good job. And, and that I'm just wondering if there, if that maybe explains the exaggeration in a sense that that we aren't feeling very good um, about ourselves and very connected to anything of value internally or externally. And so there's even a greater desire to have others think well of us. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, so, I mean, the trouble here is, is figuring out what the baseline is, right? So, so when, when is it that we are happier? <laughs> uh, um, but I, I mean, I think there probably is something to declines in social capital uh, in, in people's like actually, you know, going out and, and, uh, having meaningful relationships with, with others in some physical space. Um, there's, you know, lots of work, uh, in social sciences about the loss of other places where people can go and, you know, be social with others. Um, and so maybe what we're seeing, and I think this is kind of what you're getting at is a lot of these relationships and opportunities to develop these relationships that can be very rich, uh, and, and fulfilling, are not stripped down to, you know, brass tacks or bare essentials, whatever you want to say. Uh, and so it's now 
your relationship with, with a lot of people uh, that you know online, they uh, they seem to like the things I say about politics, and I I like the things they say about politics, and so we uh, we share some cultural values, and we just say some things back and forth all the time about whatever's in the news about those things. And when you put it that way, it sounds pretty sad, right? Um, so I mean, I, I think this is this is not terribly healthy, uh, and uh, I think uh, if we can get away from some of this moral grandstanding, we might all be be happier. I saw a study today on CNN. I, I don't know its validity because I, I didn't trace it backward, but it says that we were happier prior to 1972, that, that now <laughs> people are less happy than they ever have been um, since then. So um, so you, you just mentioned um, moral values. So, so maybe it'll be beneficial for the rest of our conversation for you to define moral talk and grandstanding. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so when I say moral talk, I mean, whenever someone invokes a, a value, so that they talk about justice or, or patriotism or, or, you know, good old traditional family values, um, they're engaging in moral talk. Or, or if they talk about, um, you know, what, what the right thing to do is, what, what we ought to do about this, or, you know, isn't this a terrible thing uh, that just happened? They're talking about something, you know, being morally good or bad. Uh, so, this kind of talk, I want to hasten to say, is really important. Uh, you know, I'm a moral philosopher. My, my co-author, Brandon Warnke, moral philosopher. We think it's really important that people talk about our values and, uh, you know, that we have uh, helpful public discussions about what the right thing to do is. What we think is a problem uh, is when people turn that talk into something that helps them personally and, and particularly like their reputation. So we call this moral grandstanding. So when someone says something uh, about morality, about justice, about anything uh, like that, uh, and what they're doing to a large degree is to try to impress other people with how good they are they're engaging in moral grandstanding. So that's the kind of talk that we think uh, is, is a problem, and for lots of reasons. So you, you use the word helpful, and, and that I guess the question then is helpful to whom? Um, and, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and what's the intention behind it? You, you talk in the book, you define recognition desire, and that a lot of mm -hmm, grandstanding mm -hmm. comes from that. What is recognition desire? Yeah. Um, so by the recognition desire, we just mean people wanting others to uh, think better of them, to, to recognize them for their moral quality. So um, if you, you know you have the, rec the recognition desire, uh, you want someone to think like, oh, um, you know, I can trust Justin. Uh, he's a good guy. He said, you know, he says all the all the right things. Um, he he obviously you know cares about and, and respects women or. or you know, whatever other uh, group I think is, is politically you know, important right now, um, right? Uh, so sometimes re the recognition people are after is just about wanting to be seen as a decent person. Uh, other times it is about uh, being seen as an exemplar. So like, whoa, I mean, not only is Justin a decent person, right? He's like on the vanguard of, you know, promoting women's rights and, and so on. Um, you know, nobody goes as far as him in, you know, taking on these problematic people, um, th this sort of thing. Uh, so, 
right? Sometimes it's just wanting to fit in. Sometimes it's, it's more ambitious, like you want to be a leader, you know. Um, but both of these things are are the kind of recognition that we're talking about. And and so where does the problem develop? Because it seems reasonable that, you know, we want to fit in, like we're, we're wired that way, right? We don't want to be cast out. We'll, sure, die, yeah. we'll die out in the woods alone. Um, we want to be liked, as we, we know from Oprah. Um, every single person she ever <laughs> interviewed was like, was that okay? Did I do, do okay? Um, <laughs> we we want to have purpose and value. So, so it makes sense that maybe we kind of boast ourselves or boost ourselves up. So, but it's a problem enough that you and Brandon spent a great deal of time and energy writing a book about it. So how is the, the use of certain words and frames so powerful and, and can become so dangerous? Mm, good. Uh, yeah. So the thing is, it's not a bad thing to want other people to like you, of course. Um, the problem comes when you want it so badly uh, that you end up shifting you know, uh, your attitudes. You say things that you wouldn't otherwise have said. Um, and that's where we get into, into real problems. Uh, so some of the consequences of, of grandstanding that we think uh, are, are really uh, a social problem uh, are things like polarization. People are polarizing. Uh, they're adopting more extreme uh, political attitudes. So they have more extreme views about certain issues, and they also have more strong negative attitudes uh, about people on the other side. Um, so this is not great uh, because if they are polarizing because of grandstanding, uh, then they're shifting the things that they'd say right, and the things that they believe, not because they think those things are true, uh, but because they think they'll get more social credit for it. Um, so there's nothing wrong, you know, with, with moving further left or, or further right. If you know, you're moving in, in, uh, in a direction toward truth, uh, but grandstanding doesn't work that way, right? You're not actually trying to have more accurate beliefs. You're trying primarily to, uh, be more impressive to other people. And, and I was just going to say, you talk in the book a lot about, and there's fertile ground for this type of behavior to become so dangerous because of the dynamics of the in-group and out-group. And, and the way that even among a group, um, you know, you can be cast out if you disagree with, uh, the group's position. And so you, you've got all these social elements. And then I think on top of that, you've got the um, reality of the way our brains are wired to believe something more and more strongly once we've decided it's true. And then people are arguing with us about it. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the in-group, out-group dynamic makes all of this so much worse, and especially when it comes to politics. Um, so it's such a problem when it comes to politics, because, you know, we need to be able to live together our politicians have to be able to make compromises with each other. And, you know, we all then have to kind of get behind that and, and go with it. Um, but because we are sort of tribal in this way, because we see the other side as, as the enemy is fundamentally opposed to, to everything that we think is good and just um, people don't welcome these compromises. Um, but of course, like this is how democracy works, right? You're supposed to, to talk things over uh, and, and see, uh, well, you know, the other side has, has a point here. Um, we can, we can kind of give a little uh, on, on that part of the issue in order to make progress overall. Uh, but, it, you know, if you see every single thing that you might 
you might agree to from the other side it's like a life and death issue um you know that's not how it's going to go so i mean we have an example in the book i mean not, not to pick on the democrats in particular but nancy pelosi saying um you know it, it's the end of the world if this tax bill goes through and some you know someone says wait come on really and she's like no i mean it's the end of the world uh, so this is not the sort of thing that makes for uh, healthy democratic debate and and resolution problems. Yeah, and I mean it fosters polarization and undermines civil discourse, and it also is lacking some of the fundamental necessary aspects of democracy. Right? Like if we can't tell what is truth. Um, and we can't discern what the facts are. We then can't even base our initial decision or position on something that has any stability to it. Um, so yeah, that's right. I mean, our our loads, our, our north star can't be like well, just the opposite of what of what those people are thinking, right? Um, and figuring figuring out the right thing to do isn't like personal. Uh, it sh- should be truth sensitive, not not sensitive to like just not being what those people say. And so there's a lot of elements, it seems, that have, have fostered that. Um, one, I think, this, you guys don't talk about this much, but I'm going to interject, is that the, the, okay. the new yeah. role of the media um, that they really mm-hmm. have within the, I mean, and, it, and it's not new, right? It happened in um, the Red Scare, and it happened in Prohibition, and whenever, you know, things were maybe super unsettled, and, and back to the 1700s. But where I think new for our the, uh, generation and the couple generations before, like that, there wasn't just a trusted news source as far as the facts, and it's all now clickbait. So you'll, you know, you go to a trusted source, um, whatever it may be, the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post. I mean, you know, at least um, Robert Redford thought those were trusted in Three Days of the Condor. Um, and yeah, yeah. and now though, I'll, I'll see an article and there'll be the um, clickbait on the top, and you read the article and you realize it has nothing even to do with that, or they actually contradict the title of the article in the last sentence of mm-hmm. uh, of, of what you're reading. And so it seems like there's a hole there. Um, and and I also want to throw in the idea of collaboration rather than compromise, because I think that is also a piece that's missing. The idea that within polarized groups, there's still a space that they share where they do share some values, they do share some goals. And and that seems like it's been completely obliterated by taking this position of moral superiority. So, mm-hmm, so maybe mm-hmm. talk a little bit about why that taking that position is so effective and, and ultimately so dangerous. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, so you're right that we don't we don't talk that much about the media in the book. I, I can say a little bit uh, about that. It's right out of the book. Um, so you know, you, you said we don't really trust our our news sources and anymore. At least at least some of them, the ones that we thought were you know the paper of record, no, no longer seems so impartial. Um, so there is this phenomenon of, of uh, people becoming increasingly cynical uh, that we think grandstanding contributes to. So if you come to think that when other people are talking about moral values, um, they are to a significant degree just out to like look good or, you know, you think, well, that reporter just wants to please his, his colleagues in the media. He wants, you know, uh, his, his editor to like him and, and promote them, then of course you're not going to take what uh, that person 
says so seriously. And, you know, if, if you have a, a sort of uh, view about how things are you know, generally going, um, you'll think, well, this is, this is everybody. I can't trust anybody uh, because they're all just engaged in, in moral grandstanding. Now, on the other thing that you said uh, about uh, collaboration, um, I think, so you're right, that is separate from compromise. I mean, you can collaborate with someone without um, giving in on anything that you want. Um, but the issue or, you know, the problem I want to point out is uh, if we're all kind of isolated in, in our, our tribes, right, uh, if, if we're all thinking like well, these are our values and those are their values, um, it isn't just the values then that, that people get worked up about. It's, it's the people who share the values. Right. So no one wants to be seen as com as not only compromising with the other side, but even being associated with them. So, I mean, now there's years now, I, I think there's been something pretty close to a, a bipartisan recognition that we need criminal justice reform. Uh, that there are a lot of things that are really dysfunctional uh, about how we punish people, about how prisons work, about how bail and sentencing work. But no one wants to give the other side a win. Right. So no one wants this to happen while the other side is in power. Uh, and as a result, uh, nothing gets done, right? Because everyone is thinking in terms of, of how it's going to look when the other side does it and, and not them. Well, yeah, and it's hard to think that you might agree or share any value with the other side if you think that 40% of the other side are now downright evil and, and you know, 18% yeah. thinking they'd be better off dead. Like, that's pretty drastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and these are, uh, I mean, I think you're referring to some of the stuff we, we talk about in, mm -hmm. in the book. These are the kinds of things that, that people uh, say on social media now, and, and apparently, you know, at least according to surveys, they, they come to believe, like, a, a substantial and, and, frankly, frightening number of people think that uh, the country would be better off if a bunch of people on the other side just died. And that's not like a gloss on, on a survey question. That was like literally the question. Um, so something is really going wrong here. And the statistics that you share are so off. They're not off by five or 10 points. You know, they're off by 30, 40, 50, 60 points as to what people think is so and then and what is actually true about, about right. the, the other. Yes, yeah, so we have these, these character style like beliefs about so it's it's like 40 some percent or, or if, you know if you ask democrats you know what percentage of of republicans make over two hundred thousand dollars a year they say like 40 percent or something like yeah yeah, that. yeah it's, like it's crazy than, less than two percent and then uh for democrats like if or sorry for republicans if you, if you ask them like what percentage of of liberals are are gay uh, are and gay. other abhorrent yeah, I don't remember in their exactly, minds things, but yeah. Like you said, it's way off. Yeah, way it's, off. It's like 8% versus 30% yeah, or, so, yeah. or something crazy like that. So, yeah, so why, why is that? Um, well, I mean, we think a, a good part of it is people engaging in, in just this extreme grandstanding about what the other side is like and how bad they are and, and you know, how, how we can't trust them and all for, for the sake of, of you know, just looking more pure, like, you know, so, so what does it say when you say, well, you, you know, you can't trust the repugs uh, or, or whatever. Uh, it says, I am like a member in good standing of this group uh, and you can, you can count on me. Right. Um, so it's grandstanding. 
And it really is being a member of the group that's so critical. You know, there are a lot of stories out now about people who are members of terrorist groups or some kind of hate groups, and then they joined a rave club or like something that that gave them a sense of purpose and belonging and participation. And like, that was as good <laughs> of a substitute. You know, they really, they what really wasn't what it was about. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about what might be the sidecar to grandstanding and, and which has been exacerbated so much lately in our society because of the internet, I think. I mean, it always existed, but the shaming, um, it, you know, it, mm, it's, it's yeah. probably not different from we used to put people in stocks in town center and jeer at them and, and use shaming as, as, sort of an idea that that it was going to um, alter people's behavior. Um, but it seems like it's more permanent now, and it, it reaches greater masses so that it's become, become more dangerous. Do you think it's coming from the same impulse and the same intention, or has that changed as well? Mm. So, I mean, you could be, you know, you could look at many cases of historical shaming, and, and I don't know if I have a general psychological account of why why they've all happened um but you know to to your point um i think uh you know one of the things that we talk about in the book is you know here's what what form uh people's contributions to public discourse tends to take uh when they're grandstanding one of the things uh, that people tend to do is that they engage in what we call piling on so that is just repeating more or less something that, that someone else has already said, maybe thousands of people have already said, just to register your inclusion on the right side. Uh, so the place where we see this most clearly now uh, is in these viral shaming incidents uh, on social media. So someone you know, tells a bad joke uh, or you know, a picture emerges of, of them that casts them in, in negative light. Um, you know, you, you get a million people responding like, you know, that that's a big yikes there, chief, or, you know, so, something like not clever. You not could be funny. fired from your job, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, you can be fired from your job, you can be ostracized, your family. Could, I mean, yeah. Death um, threats. All sorts of, of horrible things um, can happen to you uh, that are wildly disproportionate mm-hmm. to whatever uh, offense you, you you committed. So even if you really did do something wrong, it's like, that's not what should have happened to you. Um, right. Uh, and, and why does it happen? Because someone wanted to get a few likes, mm-hmm. right? Someone wanted to get a sick burn in there, uh, and, and maybe go viral themselves. Uh, so the incentives are, are just, you know, wildly out of whack for yeah. uh, getting people to, to behave well. And, and yeah, because I mean, in conjunction with the in-group, out-group dynamics, you're not going to speak up against something in your group oh, or yeah. for something in the other group, because then again, you're going to be shamed, right? You're at right. risk yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. of suffering the same fate. Right. It's like stepping in front of a tidal wave. Yeah. Right? It's like, you know, I think that's enough. And they're like, oh, whoa, why would, why would you say that? Is it because you, you agree with that person? Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're right. The social dynamics are, are just not in favor of moderation uh, in these cases. So in the book, you talk about um, the five aspects that you've identified of people that grandstand. Um, you mentioned when. What are the other ones? Yeah, uh, so another one is what we call ramping up. So you'll see this when people are talking about an issue or, or a case where morality is involved. 
and they will just in succession take increasingly extreme positions about it. Uh, so they'll engage in a kind of moral arms race where the point isn't to get the case right or, or say like the morally true thing about it. Uh, it's to say the most extreme thing that will, that will actually get, you know, respect from other people. So, you know, the first person will say, you know, oh, I, th- you know, I think what this sender did was wrong. Um, shouldn't have done that. And, you know, the second will say, uh, well, I mean, not only that, you know, we need to censure this, this person, you know, the Senate should, should condemn what they did. And then a third person will say, I mean, why bother with any of that? Let's, let's just shoot them, you know, take them out on, on the mall and shoot them. Um, right. Uh, so you, you'll see this dynamic. Lock her uh, up. Lock out. her up is ringing in yeah, my ears. Her, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah. So lock her up seemed to be the that was the the optimal position to take. On, uh, and easy to get uh, behind. Right. right. Like from all the things you've said, yeah. you don't really have to take much responsibility for determining whether or not it's a good position or whether it's yeah. justifiable. It's like, OK, like, it's a, you know, I can I can join in. Um, yeah, nothing to you. If grandstanding is most successful when used with an audience that already shares your moral beliefs and values, um, what's the benefit? Why why do we see it growing so much? Mm. Well, sorry, could could you say more? Well, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm just thinking about I mean, I'm thinking about you. You said a grand like the like we rarely are going to convince someone outside of our group. Um, with grandstanding about something. So we're, we're already in the group. Like wh- what's, why are we seeing it so much more now? If, if it is really about an in-group dynamic. I see. Good. All right. Um, well, so here's the important thing to, to understand about the motivation of, of grandstanders. Um, so they're not, the point isn't to, convince people of, of anything. It's not to grow your group. Uh, it's all about elevating your status within the group. Right? So I mean, you, you say, why, why do we see so much of it? I, I think, why isn't there even more of it? Right? Uh, because, of, I mean, people love status. We love uh, being esteemed by, by others. Um, so I mean, wh- when are people ever content with, you know, with, with just having uh, a few admirers, right? They they want as many as they can possibly get. Uh, so that's why we see so much grandstanding. And um, what's confabulation, other than a really good word? <laughs> that's fun to say. So this is an aspect uh, what, what of, about, of, of, of grandstanding. Like you talk about it in the book, confabulation, that, that that's something that... Oh, oh uh, I think, so you maybe think of trumping up. Um, right. So, yeah, another thing that people do when they grandstand is they will kind of invent exotic moral claims. So you could say they're confabulated or maybe it's a bit of moral alchemy. Um, right. Because if you can do this, right, if you can discover uh, things that, that are morally wrong that other people just sort of overlook, then you look like you're really morally sensitive. Right. You're the sort of person that we need to defer to, uh, to come to for, for guidance uh, about what the the right thing to do is. Uh, so because people are rewarded uh, for trumping up these sort of spurious moral charges, um, it's encouraged then. And so there's an incentive to do it. Uh, so this is one another of the ways that people 
engaging grandstanding. And, and it seems to, again, it's aligned with the way that our brains work as far as we want all the information to fit together. We want things to make sense. Um, we want them sort of to be digestible um, to the way we see the world working and the way we want to fit into the world. So it, it's like everything is is orchestrated to support um, grandstanding and then the acceptance of it. Um, yeah, people love being agreed with. Um, they love uh, attention from, from other people. Um, so yeah, you're, you're right. I think you're. I think you're getting it, Ellie. <laughs> it, it seems like a, another element that's really interwoven with this is the idea of. Um, political correctness. And I think like we can look back even to when um, Ronald Reagan was elected, right, that a lot of people would argue that one of the reasons he was elected was this backlash to this mandate of of, you know, dictates of political correctness in everything, in the way that we speak and in the activities that we like and the way we behave in private and in public, like everything was being sort of put under the scope of, well, is this politically correct? And, um, you know, with that, you, you silence a, a portion of the, the population. And it seems like there are repercussions. And maybe that was one of the elements of, um, of Trump um, being elected as well, mm -hmm. that that he was not willing, you know, I, I mean, he's at a fa fabulous grandstander, very good at it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. it but, but was saying the things that other people had been silenced from even thinking. Um, is there a relationship, do you think, with the idea of the, the repression of political correctness, and then the escalation of grandstanding? Mm. So you might have separate worries here. Right. So, so you might wor worry like uh, the kinds of values that people uh, who we would call, you know, uh, very politically correct. We just don't like those values. Right. Um, so we're, we're sick of hearing about them. Right. Um, we, we want them out. Uh, or you might think on, on the other hand, the real problem is uh, not the values themselves, but the way they are kind of forced upon us. Um, right. The, the way people talk about them, how they, they like heap blame uh, uh, in a really ugly and, and social, like public way on people who run afoul of whatever uh, the, the politically correct moral rules are. And, and that second way of thinking about this is more along the lines of, of what we're after. So I think at this point, it's, it's a good idea to say uh, we don't think that grandstanding is just a left or right wing phenomenon. Um, so, you know, you could tell the same story that you just did, not about um, what people on the right call political correctness, but uh, about some of the, the rhetoric around the Iraq war, for instance, the second Iraq war. Uh, so, I mean, I'm old enough to, to remember, Ellie, uh, that uh, there was some measure in, in Congress to rename French fries yeah. to freedom fries, um, that every time anyone spoke out at all about any kind of national security excess, um, they were a traitor, right? They were not patriotic. Um, so, I mean, here's the connection then that I see between that sort of thing and, and grandstanding. Um, the kinds of things that people said in, in favor of, you know, promoting like politically correct or what we can call patriotic values, um, it seemed like what they were doing very often was just promoting their own status uh, within their relevant in-group, right? They were just sort of saying, like, look, I'm really 
a hawk on, on national security, or I really care about you know the disadvantaged people that we're protecting with uh, these rules of political correctness. And a lot of people just got really tired of it. And and within that, you talk about in the book about um, virtue signaling, and that that's a, a big mm. aspect of, of grandstanding, and it seems really connected with, with what you've just been speaking about, and this idea of moral superiority. And you say in the book, the danger is that we become so convinced of our own moral righteousness that any views that differ from our own become absurd, worthy of ridicule, ridicule and immediate dismissal. Um, <laughs> that's a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Yeah, one of the ways that, that people grandstand is they, they'll say about, you know, people on the other side, you know, you're just, you're so far from the truth. I don't even know what to say to you. Like you're not even worth talking to, right? So this is another way of, of showing that, that you, you know, you're just really pure and and other people aren't uh, morally speaking. Um, Can I, can I say something about virtue signaling? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So this is a related idea. Um, I I guess I view, I view it and and grandstanding as kind of competitors for like what word people want to use uh, when they talk about the kind of behavior I'm, I'm talking about. Um, we think though that, that virtue signaling is not actually the right term, um, not just because we have a better one, although that helps, uh, but if you think about it, so you signal to other people whenever you communicate anything, right? But if if you criticize people for like communicating anything about morality, you're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? So this is why I think you'll see people saying this is just virtue signaling whenever anyone says anything about morality. But that's not really the problem, right? I mean, as, as I said to you, you know, at the beginning here, moral talk is really important. We want people to communicate about morality. Um, what we actually object to is when people do so in order just to make themselves look good, which you think is just not the point. Or to make others look bad as well, right? You talk uh, quite a bit about false accusations and outrage and how that's playing on today's stages. Yeah, right. So what should I say about that? Uh, sorry, give me a second here. That was a big shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is and it <laughs> um, isn't, right? Because it, uh, that's yeah, the right. thing about all this, right? Like, it is so connected. Because the next thing I was going to talk about, which is also connected with it, is what happened to all the centrists, right? Like, all the things you've been talking about with grandstanding and yeah. the polarization and the in-and-out group identification um, with with the grandstanding connected to this moral value, virtue signaling, and, and talk in a negative way, th- with you know, with this negative intention behind it. Um, it it then is is so connected with the then f- shaming and then of course the false accusations and outrage that again you know outrage is is seen as somehow I think was morally superior. Um, you know yeah. you're having yeah. this strong reaction. You're a strong person. You're you're going to take action. You're not going to take this anymore. Like you guys talk about in the book, you're throwing yeah. open the windows and saying, <laughs> "I'm outraged." You know, network or yeah. network was that what it's called? You know, I'm yeah, not going to yeah, take network. this anymore. And 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 and, and this, I think the 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 frightening part of that is we lose centrists. We become more polarized, and everyone else just says, "Okay, like you know, why bother?" You know, it's too taxing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we hope everyone will like the book. I'm sure grandstanders won't, but uh, we kind of hope that people who are more towards they the might. Middle, it's all about kinda... them. <laughs> <laughs> the other side, they're the grandstanders. 
Um, yeah, so I mean, we hope that, that, that people are more towards the center who have mm-hmm. kind of checked out uh, of, these, of these moral discussions, uh, kind of take heart at, at this diagnosis of, of what's going wrong. Um, so, you know, as, as you said, when we see someone who's really outraged about some moral issue, we tend to think like that is a person who has strong moral convictions. And so, you know, we might then also think, well, the people who are like, well, hold on, let's talk more about this. I'm not so sure. The temptation then is to think, well, those people actually are not so good. Those are, you know, those are the moderates. They, they can't even figure this out, uh, right? When, you know, in fact, at least some people who are in the middle actually just see more uh, than, than the people who have the immediate strong reactions. And sometimes things they see are really important. Uh, so the thing that's really lost I think when people who are, are more moderate check out is that we don't hear from them then. We don't hear uh, why they're kind of on the fence about some issue or, you know, what arguments uh, they think should lead us to a more nuanced position. Uh, and then when we don't hear from them, you know, the knowledge they have is lost. Right? Uh, so it's really important uh, that, that people not be kind of pushed out of, of public discourse just because it's overrun by, by grandstanders who will attack them uh, if they express any doubt about what the grandstanders see as, as the morally pure position. And it's so important, right, because you discuss in the book the, the group polarization that results, um, the result from that, that, and I'm using air quotes now in discussions um, because I'm not sure how much <laughs> discussing is going on, but that people tend to walk away from these discussions, air quotes, um, with more yeah. extreme views than they had when they started. Yeah. So the purpose of the discussion um, has shifted away from an exchange of ideas and a conversation and an analysis of um, problems and facts and solutions in to just you know a validation of your position in the group and then and then the belief that the the group has so so how do we get people in groups to speak up about what they truly believe and not succumb to this group mentality and toe the line of of the grandstanders that are are leading the the um i don't even know what we're going to call it the rage (laughs) (laughs) yeah um well I think the main thing that we have to do is to change the incentives, right? So as things stand, you know, the incentives are all in favor of grandstanding because the grandstanders get the likes, they, they get um, invited to, to do things if they're very, you know, very successful, they get invited on TV and uh, talk about this viral tweet that you had and, and so on. Um, so, I mean, what we have to do, I, I think, is to stop giving grandstanders recognition uh, which is exactly what they want. Stop letting them make it ab- about themselves. Um, listen to, to people who aren't so sure, right? Uh, who, who don't make anything uh, about themselves, right? So, um, you know, you might think the thing to do is, you know, when you see someone doing what you think is, is, is grandstanding is to blame them. Um, but I think actually that's exactly the wrong thing to do both because people have a really negative reaction to this probably, and they'll just accuse you of grandstanding. But, you know, the bigger point is it kind of seeds the issue to the grandstander, right? Because it just gives them exactly what they want. It lets them make moral talk about them. Uh, And that's the very thing that we want to avoid. 
you end the book and, and maybe we'll end our discussion on this as, as well. Um, because I thought it was such a relevant and maybe to many obscure, um, point in, in they, they might not go there, uh, typically mm-hmm. in their, in their thinking. And that was the idea that activists and extremists are often cut from the same cloth as their opposition. I would say almost undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. that they like the dance, right? And that's a problem. So mm-hmm. if, if this is the dance you're doing and you're enjoying and you like your role in it, um, you don't really want resolution, right? You want the battle. Uh, so what yeah. role does our acknowledgement of, of grandstanding um, play in maybe shifting that dynamic and solving for that? Yeah. Uh, so, so, I mean, this is, this is like the, the limit case of, of like where, where things have gone so wrong. I mean, that is like, you'll hear people now praise um, Occupy Wall Street and, and some social movements that are going on now precisely because they don't have concrete demand, right? So, so you say, okay, well, you know, um, people are, are rightly very angry a, a, about um, some of the, the cases of police brutality. Um, I, I'm with them. What do we do? Um, now, there are some people who really do have concrete proposals and you can find them talking about that. Uh, but it seems like the people who are best at social media, who, who get the most attention, are are actually on the side of like, well, no, no. I mean, this is about changing everything. This is, um, you know, this is this isn't about any particular demand. I mean, and you just kind of think like, well, look, that just doesn't help. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, I mean, it's like understandable, right? To... But it doesn't help towards solution if that's what you're after. I mean, this this sense of in dignity and being didactic it's like it it's it's a dance and an understandable yeah. one for many but it certainly doesn't lead uh very logically or or quickly to solution yeah um so i mean again just to emphasize i'm not against indignation mm-hmm. right? i mean that, right. that's part of like that's part of expressing your your moral views like people should do but it should also have a point beyond um, just your own satisfaction and, and uh, the cheers of, of your group as as you do so, right? It should be about but, helping. But maybe people, we've lost that game plan, right? Maybe it isn't that. And, and for some, right? Some extremists on either side, the left or the right, you know, in this us and them, and the us sounds just like them, and the rhetoric, they're they're not interested really in shifting from that. They found a place, and that's comfortable. I think the majority of people who are indignant and who are speaking out, they they do want change, but I don't know yes. that there's an obvious path anymore. I mean, without civil discourse, without any confidence um, in the integrity of of the news media or information or either party really like where is that path you know uh, away from grandstanding right. and your next book may have to be to what like what <laughs> what does yeah. the alternative uh, look like because we may have all forgotten yeah well you know I'll, I'll say this ellie um we get what we ask for from our our political leaders and, and that's not just elected representatives that's that's activists from from the people who are elevated uh to, to positions of, of leadership within uh, these loosely constituted social movements, we get what we ask for from them. So if we reward people uh, for just showy displays of, of their moral beliefs, for grandstanding, uh, what we're going to get from them is more grandstanding. Or maybe you know they'll hire more people uh, 
uh, in, within you know, the professional managerial class of their organization to grandstand with them. But we won't get results. Uh, so what we need is, is just to change what we ask for and, and change what we reward. Uh, and whatever it is, it shouldn't be grandstanding. Yeah. And maybe throw out the shame, too. I'm thinking if anyone shames me or Justin for anything we said in this interview, we centrists oh, are going to be less likely to speak <laughs> up. But yeah, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. And maybe we're just going to have to stand our ground and say, okay, thanks for the input. We'll, we'll yeah. consider it. I made a rubber, you're made of glue. You know, I don't know. One of the two. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Justin, for joining us on That Got Me Thinking. Um, your book is out, uh, Grandstanding, The Use mm-hmm. and Abuse of Moral Talk by Justin Tosi and Brandon Wormke. Couldn't be more thanks timely. Thanks so much, Kelly. Okay. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye.